Good morning and welcome to Our Town on Classic Hits 103.7 and 1340 WAGN 100.1 FM. I'm Amber Mishka and this morning I'm joined by Paula Grzynski, who is the Executive Director of the M&M Area Community Foundation. Stan Grzynski, who is a committee member of the Resilient Future Project, and John Lee, who is Vice Chair of MMACF Board of Directors, as well as the Chair of that Resilient Future Project. And as you might have imagined, we are talking about the Resilient Future Project this morning. That is sort of a spinoff initiative that came from the recent Great Lakes One Water uh, nationwide and, in fact, international initiative that the MMACF took part in. So good morning to all of you. Good morning, Amber. Good morning. morning. So it is a pretty recent transition from the Great Lakes One Water Partnership to this Resilient Future Project. But um, take me back to the beginning with the Great Lakes One Water Partnership and and talk to me about kind of where that started and how you were involved. We are connected to the Council of Michigan Foundations, which is a nationwide leader with initiatives. And they sent us some information asking if our community foundation was interested in joining the Great Lakes One Water Partnership. And I'm really pleased that our board of directors thinks that although we should continue to give scholarships and grants, as we always have done, we also need to step up to the plate and accept these kinds of opportunities to become involved and do more for the community. So the Great Lakes One Water Partnership um, was six regions surrounding the Great Great Lakes with uh, 30-plus community foundations involved. Kind of where did you fit into that structure? We were the upper UP. um, There was also Duluth in there. So there were five different community foundations that were in our region. But we were such a diverse group compared to some of the other regions that we really all did our individual project. As we met last fall, I went to Cleveland and to Richmond, Virginia to meet with the other community foundations. And some of the other regions really had a very, very coordinated effort. And I'm pleased that our region looked at what our region needed and our committee decided to focus specifically on resiliency and what we could do. Tell me a little bit about what some of those initial primary goals of this region were with the GLOW partnership. Well, looking at uh, water resiliency, we uh, the storm that happened up in uh, Houghton was pretty fresh in everybody's mind. So we, we really looked at uh, what could we do in event of these large storm events and, and how could we help the community survive and not have those kind of catastrophic failures. So uh, we started on an educational path, and uh, that was really our initial focus was just on educating the community and the leadership in the area of, of different things that were available and what we could do. Uh, I, I don't know if you'd remember, but uh, we started actually with a Did You Know campaign on on WGN radio stations, you guys as WAGN radio stations, but uh, uh, those were 15-second spots aimed at just a little educational tidbit that we could put out there uh, and that's after that we went to a uh, seminar at uh, UW Green Bay at Marinette now uh, and had a speaker come in and talk about water resiliency efforts and things like that and uh, that was for community leaders. In the meantime between those things that John talked about John and Stan and some of the other committee members and we have a really great group of committed volunteers did outreach and went to the city council meetings and really had an effort to not only educate the general public, but to touch base with all the elected officials. I think there were a list of 172 elected officials throughout the two-county service area that the community foundation covers and did a very, very 
thoughtful, strategic outreach to that group. So let's talk about who is involved in this uh, first with the, the GLOW initiative and then as it transferred over to this Resilient Future project. So we have um, elected officials from both counties as well as just community members who saw a press release, reached out to us and said that that was something that they were concerned about was water resiliency in the environment. I think about Donna Beekler from Cedarville Township. She's with a conservation district. And she reached out to us and said, you've got this going on. This is my thing. May I be involved? And I'm always happy to take those kinds of calls. What I think the Community Foundation recognized, Amber, was the fact that when these sorts of things occur, like the flooding in Houghton as a result of the rainstorms and these more intense storms and the high water in this area, John can attest to that and others, uh, it was a realization that people don't know really what to do about it. Uh, traditionally, we've expected local government, state government, even the national government to devise or develop a plan to address these sorts of things. But in the end, in the final analysis, the best way to address it is by raising public awareness and consciousness of the issue and then encouraging as much citizen participation in terms of the remediation or the prevention uh, as possible. And that's where I think the Community Foundation is really showing some leadership and I commend John and the other board members for that because uh, otherwise there is no way really to catalyze and engage the public in these matters that quite frankly they're very interested in. Now one of the first major events of uh, at least once the GLOW partnership had formed was that forum at the UW-Green Bay Marinette campus in September of last year, I believe. What were some of the results of that? You had a lot of, of stakeholders there. The, well, the biggest result of that was awareness from outside area. Uh, you know, I mean, we we had other groups contacting us saying that they saw that we did that and were interested in what we were doing here. So really the the real coup d'etat for us out of that was that other fund reached to us and said, you guys are an active group. We we think we'd like to partner with you on some stuff. That was really the, the biggest thing we got out of. We did get a lot of educational benefit. And, uh, I you know, I, I personally learned a tremendous amount from, from those uh, meetings but uh, I really think that would be the big takeaway, would be that outside connections we made because of that meeting. I think so. And just the empowerment and the committee members who stepped up to the plate. Keith West, who's on a Resilient Future Project, put that together for us. He offered to reach out to Gary Allen, who was our speaker. So for, from a standpoint of somebody who has a lot on their plate, the fact that the volunteers stepped up and said, this is something that our area needs, I will do this and I will do this, was great. Well, and it was, it was worthwhile noting, at least from my perspective, that there were a number of elected officials from, at least from the uh, Marinette side, because I recognize them more easily than <laughs> the Menominee side. Uh, but in the final analysis, they're going to have to be engaged with these sorts of matters as well because it's affecting their communities and their constituencies are going to expect them to take some action. So it's, it's always, in my opinion, much easier for an elected body uh, to take action if citizens are knowledgeable and aware and if you can draw on resources, as John was mentioning, from outside the community, either 
grants from other foundations that focus on that are focusing on this issue or other charitable organizations that want to be engaged in this issue all of that makes a difference because in the end you not only are using public resources tax resources but you're using philanthropic resources local energy and otherwise to address problems that are common to all of us sure all right well we do have to take our first short break but stay tuned our town will be back after this Welcome back to Our Town on Classic Hits 103.7 and 1340 WAGN 100.1 FM. I'm Amber Mishka, and this morning I am joined by Paula and Stan Grzynski, as well as John Lee, talking about the M&M Area Community Foundation's new Resilient Future Project, which is not so new. It is a transition from the initial uh, Great Lakes One Water Partnership that started uh, a couple of years ago at this point. We touched briefly in the last segment about those... Um, the weather issues and and the weather events that happened up in up in the Houghton area and how that kind of hit at the same point that the the Great Lakes One Water Partnership was getting underway. But this is a timely initiative at this point for our area. We have seen a number of severe weather events kind of hitting back to back here. Talk to me about what some of the main concerns and impacts are that come with those. Well. I believe that water runoff situations and the amount of contaminant that's going into the rivers and the uh, the bay eventually uh, are the biggest things. Uh, there's still, you know, the the common things that you think of the erosion, uh, the the erosion around the the waterfront has just been tremendous. And I know both communities, a lot of individuals along the the waterfront, all the way from Cedar River down, you know probably two grain bay have done major work on their waterfront trying to protect their property so uh that's those would be the big ones well and you know it, and it's more than just the occasional storm because uh, it works its way upstream and into the tributaries as well so if you get bigger storms and more water you get more runoff so that means uh in those communities where agriculture is very dominant uh, if you have bigger storms, that means there will be more nitrates working their way into the waters. More nitrates mean more weeds and more problems with, um, with both drinkable water and uh, the kinds of, kinds of problems that you face on Green Bay. So we really think that we have to begin to address this now because if we wait until it's urgent and time to mitigate, uh, it will be too late. And we already, as John was indicating, you know, just the volume alone uh, has caught people's attention. But more, uh, in my mind, a, an even more serious problem is the fact that we're not collecting and capturing uh, all of the heavy metals, the contaminants, the nitrates, and all the other uh, kind of 
polluters uh, that these storms bring to water when there's so much of it that the storm sewage system and, and, those, and those mitigating factors can't handle. So I think, you know, at first glance, maybe when you looked at the Great Lakes One Water Partnership or you talk about um, water resiliency and these storm events, you're thinking about external factors, things that you can't control. But would it be fair to say then a, a big component of this is talking about those internal factors, those those things you can control, like um, industry and, and other types of things that are affecting water health? Yeah, we haven't really gone into... Uh contaminant from industry that uh that that's really a separate topic and there's there's so much being done with that in in this area specifically that uh, we really haven't touched on uh that specifically ours has been more on runoff issues from farms and and parking lots and and things like that and and as stan pointed out with the amount of water that we currently have the water just isn't running off that that's part of the problem is the backup of water all the way up through the tributaries and then uh they're standing water in places that uh it just isn't normal and uh it's leaching all kinds of things out of the soil that uh has been in there for 30 years since the last one of these kind of events so uh it's that's really been our main focus you know, one of the one of the uh, things that I've noticed in my rather long life, Amber, <laughs> is that uh, over the years uh, the contamination of water has tended to be viewed as someone else's problem. In other words, if the if the water came up on the shoreline, well, if you live on the shoreline, too bad. Maybe you shouldn't live there. Tough, and and the public's eye turns away. If your if your well is contaminated, well, too bad. That's your problem, not our problem. But uh, as we begin to look at the, the effects of weather and, and its impact on water, and we look at you know, the, the, the need to begin to address some of the problems, old and new, that we're facing in terms of the potential contamination of water or those waters that are already contaminated, to me, the primary issue is raising the public's awareness of it so that even if your well isn't contaminated or even if you don't live by the shoreline, you recognize that the quality of that water and the preservation of that water uh, is an important factor in terms of your quality of life and your children and your children, grandchildren's quality of life. And the only way we can address that is by working together uh, and raising the consciousness and getting state, local, and national people engaged with addressing these sorts of things. So now, while the, the formal GLOW initiative has ended, the local effort has, and that's what we're talking about here, that transition to the Resilient Future Project. But can you tell me about just the decision, Paul, you touched on it briefly. It, it was a conscious decision by the MMACF to press on with this, despite the fact that that national, international effort had ended. You say that it was a decision, but I feel like it. we would have had to decide to stop it. There was such momentum and such engagement, even though we haven't been able to physically get together, our Resilient Future Committee has been meeting virtually and talking about what we need to do. We had a meeting about two weeks ago to talk about something like this, to what kind of press could we do? And pretty soon we're talking about curriculum and engaging middle school science teachers and all of these ideas that aren't just, hey, when should we go on the radio? 
but what else can we do? What is a community foundation and all these volunteers who want to be engaged? How can we make people understand, as Stan just said, that it's not if you live on a, in a certain area that you're affected by water. And also, both counties, right? People in Goodman need to be involved. People in Bark River Harris need to be involved and engaged with this. Well, we do have to take another brief break, but we will be back talking about the Resilient Future Project on Our Town after this. We're back on Our Town on Classic Hits, 103.7 and 1340 WAGN, 100.1 FM. I am Amber Mishka, and we are talking about the Resilient Future Project this morning with Paula and Stan Grzynski, as well as uh, John Lee with the MMACF. So we have been talking about a number of projects that are um, incorporated with this Resilient Future Project or uh, initiatives that are involved with the project. Uh, but how is this work going to be funded long term? Because, of course, uh, with work comes money that needs to back that work. Well, we don't have all of the answers to that, but as I mentioned earlier, last fall I traveled quite a bit. The um, Kresge Foundation actually paid my way out to Virginia for a meeting with about 100 folks from around the country. I learned uh, what a CSO is, a combined sewer overflow, um, getting up to speed on all things water, and just made some great connections with folks there. And then two weeks later, uh, the Great Lakes Funders Initiative invited me to come to Cleveland, and that was where more of the GLOW folks, other community foundations were involved. And I literally was standing in line for dinner on a Tuesday night with my name tag, and a woman behind me said, oh, Krasinski, that's a Wisconsin name. Are you from Wisconsin? <laughs> I said, which Krasinski do you know? <laughs> um, and, and it was Vicki Elkin with the Fund for Lake Michigan, the woman who's the executive director of the Fund for Lake Michigan. So we did get our meal. I don't know if we ate it because we sat down and talked. And come to find out that after I talked to her about what we were doing and gave her a packet of information about all the press releases and the community engagement and the September meeting, because this was last October, she said that they wanted to be involved and how could they help. So. Casey, one of her staffers, came up last December, sat down with Stan and John and I, and gave him a more complete view of what we're doing. So the Fund for Lake Michigan is something that weighs in on this, but the Herb Family Foundation out of Lower Michigan is also very involved with environmental issues, as is the Kresge Foundation, the Great Lakes Funders Initiative. So the fact that what we're doing has caught national attention we're hoping that it also, as we kind of refine our plan and pick an activity, that we can bring additional dollars into these communities. What makes this effective or, or really what makes your efforts uh, meaningful, I guess, is citizen action. I mean, we can sit here and talk about it and you can have these conversations with community leaders, but if this isn't put into action, it, it kind of falls flat. So what are you doing? How are you educating residents and getting them engaged in a meaningful way to really make a difference through this initiative? Well, we look at that. We have several prongs that we're working on, uh, and there, there's the, the small, simple ones, 
where we, we do research uh, and try to publish information. Like early on, one of the things we talked about was water quality in wells and things like that. And, and we found out that, for instance, Home Depot has kits that you can go in for free and take, and they will analyze your water and send you back a report on it. You know, so, so just communication of little things that are available for the community on things like that. The other thing we worked on is we thought we could use a demonstration project of some type. So we have been working with uh, the Fund for Lake Michigan to do a demonstration project. Uh, and we, we've applied for some grants to do that. Uh, we've been looking at a uh, trying to come up with a rain garden for to control runoff in a very, very public area. We, we happen to choose the M&M Plaza to work on that. And uh, so we currently have uh, things going on with the fund to do a, a larger demonstration project there. Uh, in our conversation with the fund, we've also talked about uh, the codes and ordinances for the local cities and how they support uh, green infrastructure and, and runoff control and things like that. And they have a booklet that's about 90 pages that we we printed out and started working on and we were going to actually go through uh, Marinette, Menominee, and Peshtigo and Krivitz's codes and see if we could compare those to this book and come up with recommendations for them. Uh, but, but through these efforts we found out that the fund for Lake Michigan paid to develop that and they also will pay for a consultant to come and do that for you. So we've uh, hooked up some, some people to, to get that done but uh, we're kind of out of that piece of it now. Right. We had connected with a woman named Madison who worked for Bay Lakes Regional Planning and connected her with Mayor Genesot, specifically thinking about the code audits. And now it's evolved into actually doing a comprehensive plan with Bay Lakes um, Regional Planning. As John said, we're out of that, but we made that connection with those organizations. So we're very proud of even that part of our effort. A number of years ago, uh, the University of Wisconsin Extension took a look at uh, need, just generally need in the, in the state, uh, organizations that would take charitable contributions and otherwise, uh, and resources. And it was discovered that, in fact, there's not really a shortage of resources in Wisconsin. What there is is a shortage of networking and knowledge about what is out there. Uh, and and I really feel that the importance of the foundation's work is that it's helping the local community look for the resources that might be able to address issues that are important to the people who live here. Uh, one example is uh, the Center for Environmental Education that was created in Wisconsin about 20 years ago. That's housed in the, in the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point, uh, but it, it serves the entire state. Uh, unfortunately, they don't have a lot of state resources to get their message out. But if you're aware of their existence and you're interested in creating programming for young people to better understand the environment, water quality, what they can do when they become adults, that's a resources that can be used. And we have used them for for other things. Uh, Paula brought them in on some other energy things that we were doing. So uh, one important part of having a community organization is ensuring that the board does more than simply meet. 
uh, you want a board that's actively engaged in the issues of the community and is willing to get out there and meet with and talk with average citizens about what we all can do to make this a better place to live and to protect the future. All right. Well, we are out of time for this morning, but I have been speaking today with Paula and Stan Grzynski, as well as John Lee, about the Resilient Future Project. Of course, you can get more information about that initiative by contacting the M&M Area Community Foundation. I'm Amber Mishka, and as always, thank you for joining us on Our Town.